when I was in Chi Alpha at the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, uh, my friends and I had this idea uh, as student leaders. We would pull off this event called Smurf Out Poverty. Now, we weren't going to like Smurf Out Poverty existentially, but what we wanted to do was raise money and raise awareness and provide resources for those in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Um, that were in need. And so I had read some more because I'm a Guinness World of Records junkie that the largest gathering of Smurfs, yes, the blue cartoon characters, the largest gathering was like somewhere in another country. And I think at the time it was like 500 Smurfs were gathered. And so we had a marketing plan. We had flyers. We had social media stuff or whatever social media looked like back then. And we were going to smurfoutpoverty.com. And I told the rest of our student leadership team this idea, and then they took it and ran with it. And then something happened in the middle of planning. We got a notification. I'm not sure how or where. We got a notification that uh, another group had gathered a lot of Smurfs. Like 1,100 Smurfs had gathered somewhere like random, probably like Amsterdam. Um, and I, I was like defeated because we were a few months away from our event. Um, and now the record was so big, it seemed almost pointless to try. But I remember that a friend of mine, Kayla, and a friend of mine, Brandon, said, we've still got to do it. And to be honest, I think that's when I first realized one of the flaws that I have as a person is that I, I want to do something big and grand and make a difference. But if I'm not sure if it's successful, I'm a little bit afraid to put my toes in the water. Or in other words, and maybe this is me as a millennial, maybe other millennials relate that are on staff, maybe not, but, but sometimes I, I want to be all in or all out. Like I want to make a big change, but if I can only do small incremental change, I tend to step back or disengage. And I remember we, we did the event, for those that are wondering, um, 500 people did not show up. 1,200 people did not show up, like 75 people showed up, uh, which was disappointing and amazing because our campus ministry at the time was only running about 30 or 40 people. Maybe it was almost 100 showed up. I don't remember. I do remember preaching dressed like a Smurf, and I'm so glad that those pictures are lost forever in the archives of myspace.com. Um, and of course, there was news reporters there who like with 60 people were like, do you think you'll break the record tonight? And I was like, look around. There's no way we're going to break the record. I tried to say something more diplomatic, like, but we did this for a good cause. But I, I share that story um, because for me, that's when one of the ways that Chi Alpha, in my experience, moved from just being a community to being a movement. And what was great is that there was this idea that we all took hold of. And even when I wanted to give up, as the person that created this crazy idea, the community created movement for us to continue to go forward. And that's one of the beautiful things about when a community is on mission or a community has lived into its identity of being a movement is that it really gives an opportunity to move forward or to advance a cause, to advance an idea, um, even when the odds aren't in your favor, or even when maybe you're having a bad day or things look a little grim, a, a movement allows you to be the very best, to have your highest ideas and values celebrated, and then gives you the strength to lean on other people on the days when you don't feel strong enough to go on. And so, you know, if, if you guys are, are watching this, and you've been a part of the Chi Alpha community maybe completely since we've been virtual or maybe over the past few years, I want to remind us of the joy of being a part of a community that's a movement, that's, that's bigger um, 
bigger than we might even know or imagine. Maybe you're in a life group or you've enjoyed one-on-ones as a freshman with a staff member that reached out to you via social media. I want to encourage you to lean in, but to also know that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. This is more than just a set of Bible studies, more than like 70 minutes of singing songs on a Thursday. No, we want to be a community, uh, some people say a family on mission together. And, and here's the aim, and I can do a better job about communicating this more often, is it's to transform the university and the marketplace and the world by making disciples and make disciples, by relying on God's strength to be Christ's ambassadors in this cultural moment and beyond. What I also appreciate about being a part of a movement is what C.S. Lewis talks about in The Four Loves, and I believe it comes from a Swedish proverb, and I want to read it real quick. It's that shared joy is a double joy, shared sorrow is half sorrow. So whether we're talking about advancing an idea or cause, maybe confession and accountability, or even about dealing with lament and grief, when we do it as a community, there's something richer and deeper about it. And when we do it as a community that's on mission, that's going somewhere together, that's when it can become a remarkable force for transformation in our lives and in our hearts. Um, I'm not a big fan of group projects, but a mentor of mine, Mike, would say this, that Jesus loves group projects. I think I fell in love with the idea of Chi Alpha because everybody was involved in somebody else's faith story. No one kind of just kept grace to themselves, but everyone was invited, encouraged, and challenged to make their faith matter in the life of somebody else. And oftentimes that happens laterally in Chi Alpha with peers. Sometimes it happens you're receiving mentorship from someone that's a few steps beyond you. But often we learn the most, we mature the most when we're investing into those who are coming behind us. Maybe that's a freshman or maybe it's someone who just started following Jesus. And honestly, this isn't Chi Alpha's idea. This is certainly not my idea. Remember, my idea was Smurf Out Poverty, which failed. This is a biblical and godly idea. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, we read this, and it's the Great Commission. In verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Spoiler alert, he's about to partake in the ascension. He's returning to heaven. And he says these last words. He's reminding them of who he is and his strength. And then he's giving them an identity and a purpose to live beyond themselves. Someone once said, said it like this, is that the, the, the ministry or a church, its greatest calling isn't to exist just for those that are apart, but to exist for those that are not yet here. And you might be asking, well, what does this have to do with virtual ministry, Zoom University, why all the Zoom calls? And that's one of the questions that we wanted to answer uh, in our To Be Honest series. And I talked about it a little bit in my own kind of immaturities. It's like, man, if I can't do the ideal thing, I'm pretty hesitant to do the thing that's, that's less than ideal but still positive. Like I'm, I'm an all-in or all-out person. But the reason that we have book groups, the reasons we do one-on-ones over FaceTime, the reason we gather on Thursday, we have podcasts and resources. We hope that you're connecting not just with us as staff or not just with our amazing student life group leaders, but connecting with each other. 
we really believe that's important because it allows our faith to move from intentions to action. It allows our dreams, our vision for the world, the campus being a better place to move just from a prayer request to stepping in and by the power of the Spirit being the answer to that very prayer, right? We we see this in the New Testament that that God's view, Jesus' perspective is that the harvest is ready, but the workers or laborers are few. It's very difficult to pray that prayer without getting in the game, without realizing that there are people in your life and in my life that we're in close proximity to, that might be relationally distant from God, and that is actually a really good thing. It might feel inconvenient or difficult at times, but in fact, you're probably closer to being an ambassador of Christ than if you're a person who's only around other Jesus followers all the time, because then you wouldn't be representing an alternative reality. You wouldn't be representing um, the kingdom of God, because there would be kind of uniformity. Instead, we're called to step into places with people that look, think, vote, and act differently than we do and live out the kingdom and talk about Jesus so that we can also invite them into what God's invited us into. It's this redemption plan and the renewal of all things. So we've been spending a lot of time, whether it's church online platform, FaceTime, Zoom, Discord, iMessage, GroupMe, tools that probably most of us kind of liked, never really loved, and now it's like the main way in which we connect and communicate. Well, here's a passage of scripture that's something I've been wrestling with for the past few months, and I wanted to read it, and I have it on my, um, my iPhone today. It's Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says this, And this is the author of Hebrews. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the author who I believe to be Junia is encouraging those in the early church and by extension, encouraging you and I to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This means that when we gather, we don't just gather to consume, but we gather to collaborate. That yes, you are here, hopefully, worshiping, learning, being instructed, and your soul is being inspired and challenged and shaped. But gathering together also is important for you so that you can help others experience those very same things. You've heard us say it before, but what God does in you, He really does want to do through you. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together. So I want to address the elephant in the room, right? This verse has enjoyed a lot of airtime on Facebook news feeds lately in the circles that I'm in as we navigate this global health pandemic that seems to continue to go on and on. This passage, this passage isn't about whether churches should have the right or whether churches acting in wisdom should meet together with social distancing, with masks, inside, outside, reserve seats. This is really not talking about that at all. Because what's interesting for the original hearers of this text, right? And to understand scripture, we need to know what it meant to them then before we can know what it means for us now. When they were reading the words of Junia in Hebrews 10, they were thinking of the daily meeting together that took place. Yes, they did things on the weekend in the temple courts and in the synagogues in a similar way to we might gather on a Saturday or Sunday for a collective worship gathering. 
But the mark of the early church was an everyday type of spirituality that existed because they spent time together every single day. The early church fasted two days a week together. They had multiple meals in each other's homes together. And I don't just mean communion. I mean, they had full-on meals. That's why Jesus, even as he appears to over 500 individuals after his death, like one of the things he does is have a fish fry with his disciples and friends, right? Because there's something incarnational about being together, about eating together, about spending time together. Now, some of those things we can't do and probably shouldn't be doing as we seek to be good citizens and we seek to bless and honor those around us who may be at greater risks for health concerns. But what I'm getting at is this. This has nothing to do with Sunday mornings. This has to do with the idea that in order to follow Jesus, it involves being around others. And in order to have an everyday spirituality, it involves frequently meeting together. They would meet daily. And so when they saw each other on the weekends, when they were receiving teaching in the temple courts, that was like, that was the irregular part of the Christian life because they had spent so much time in, I know Jolene's going to have a hard time with this, with the F word, in fellowship with one another. And then I love how it points to something really interesting at the end of this passage. It says that some are going to give up doing this. We read in other parables that that the seeds of the gospel sometimes fall on soil that prevents growth because the soil, the condition of the heart gets choked out by life's desires and busyness and struggles. And then it says, as we see the day approaching, we should encourage one another more, which is fascinating. So the farther we get, in a linear timeline from the cross, the closer we get to the return and second coming of Jesus, the author of Hebrews is saying we're going to need more encouragement. And the way that we live out encouragement is by spending time together. And what do we do when we're together? We spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That really, in a nutshell, is why all of the virtual happenings, why all the Zoom, why all the Instagram TV, why all the connection points, why we spend time on podcasts, why our wonderful life group leaders are connecting with you over text, group me, over Zoom, over FaceTime, is because we really want to make sure that in this season, man, that we are following Jesus, that we are trusting Him, that we're fighting for joy, and that we're honest that we cannot do this alone. Yes, Digital ministry is less than ideal. 100% virtual is not how I would have written this story had I been in charge of all the outside circumstances. But we do this because virtual gatherings, virtual one-on-ones are just a vehicle to live out our vision. They're not the vision in themselves. I'm not just passionate about Zoom. And I'm I'm guessing neither are you. That's not why you took the SAT and the ACT is so that you could explore Zoom to the fullest if you're part of the freshman class. No, but the technology allows us a vehicle by which to live out our vision and values. And our vision and values is that we would be a community that exists to bless those around us. That we would be gathered together and our faith wouldn't be private, even though it's personal, that we would be connected, but we wouldn't be insular. Instead, we would be holding hands, but outwardly focused on how we can bring blessing, how we can bring peace, how we can bring truth and justice to the world around us, how we can 
when those when people are experiencing sorrow and grief, we can sit with them. How when people are experiencing joy and happiness, we can celebrate with them. See, I think that there's something greater at stake in the next few weeks and months than the long-term future of DC Chi Alpha. And I think there's something actually more important. It's, it's you. It's that age-old question, how is your soul? How are you doing? Now, community is meant to be a helpful catalyst for deeper relationship with Jesus. Community isn't designed to take the place of Jesus. But Jesus never intended for us to follow him alone. In fact, if we had the Apostle Paul here, I mean, that would mean that somehow time travel works. He would have no concept for an individualized, privatized Christian faith. Because Christianity needs to be practiced. And it's practiced with other believers. And maybe more importantly, it's practiced with those who are not yet Christians or believers. There's another passage that I wanted to kind of talk about for a few minutes um, today. And it's in Ephesians 4, and, and I'll probably just reference it. But this is a passage where there's some debate as to what it could mean. And it's basically identifying the ministerial leadership offices in the church. And depending on where you place the comma, you'll come around with very different applications. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it's talking about Jesus as he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so the big question, the big contention is, what is the role of a pastor? Is it to do all the ministry work or is it to do the ministry work in such a way that it equips others to minister to their peers, to their friends, to their neighbors. Now, invitation is a big deal. I want you to invite your friends into your life group, to invite your friends into weekly worship. When we have bingo night, I want you to invite your friends. But following Jesus should bring us with such joy and passion that we're not just inviting people in, we're investing into people. See, because scripture is clear that I have no clearer, more direct access to God than you do if you're a follower of Jesus. And I'm convinced that the very best way for your friends, your classmates, your family members who maybe don't believe, the very best way for them to possibly encounter Jesus isn't through a sermon from me, but it's through you. It's through your actions and your words. It's through how you live in love and then how you talk about the things that matter most. It's how you how you engage with, with faith, with God in, in such a way that like you just can't help but to talk about it. And we see that um, in the early church often when leaders of the early church were brought in front of government and religious officials. Like, you have to stop preaching. They, they were like, you cannot keep talking about Jesus. And one of them remarks like, I can't help talking about what I've witnessed. This leads us to, to, to maybe a few questions for ourselves. Is there something in our faith story or in how we're viewing faith that's prevented us from involving others. Maybe, like me, you fall into the trap of assuming people would say no and then saying no for them. 
Or perhaps you're in a place with your faith where if you're being honest, it feels rocky, it feels difficult, and you're not sure you want to invite anybody into that mess. And I, and I understand that. But here's the beautiful part about living out authentic faith. We don't have to have it together. You don't have to be on a mountaintop. And in fact, most of my pivotal spiritual moments were in those valleys, in those dark times, in those times that felt distant. And here's the reality is that some people will respect your success. Some people will envy your success. But when you invite people into your struggle and failure, many people will identify with it. So we have to kind of come counterculturally. It's not about presenting the best case for Christianity. It's about how do we invite people into something that's beautiful and messy and hard and challenging and perplexing and peaceful all at the same time? Well, we do so because it's transformed our lives. And we do so because one of the greatest joys of life isn't just finding Jesus for ourselves, but helping others find how Jesus is working in their life. I'm convinced that whether I was working in Chi Alpha, whether I was back working at a local church, or way, way back in high school, you know, working at this TV station, like I'm convinced that still the greatest joy would be being a part of someone else's faith story. Not preaching a sermon, not just leading a Bible study discussion, but being in close relationship. And then seeing how that relationship might impact their story. As I look back at my time at the University of Alabama, it's not the great discussions in the religious studies department that were the highlights. It's not the perplexing labs in my computer science minor that really bring on the greatest memories. It's not even the 100,000 fans in the football stadium winning almost every game, although that was great. It's thinking back to the relationships. The relationships that made me think better about my faith, that made me live into my identity as a follower of Jesus. And then those relationships were maybe in some small way, the way I lived, the way I talked, helped others connect with Jesus, helped others follow him closely, helped others engage with the goodness of the gospel. Now, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I'm feeling lonely or agitated, The gospel seems like a benevolent obligation. But when I'm thinking with a renewed mind, the gospel is this great opportunity to experience something and to pass it on. To say, this is so good, I can't help but inviting others into it. Well, you know this as much as I do. For the time being, if we're going to apply the words of Junia and Hebrews of not giving up meeting together, it's going to look like a lot of time on the screen. And I'll be the first to admit that it's really hard to replace flesh to flesh with screen to screen. It's not going to all translate as well. It's not going to be as great. But man, five, six months, however many months we are into this pandemic, I've realized that maybe the thing I, I don't need is the community I used to have, or my perfect perspective on what community could be, but it's the real life breathing people around me to encourage me, to lift me up, to pray for me, and hopefully I could do the same for them. Nobody nobody likes wearing a mask. I don't even like wearing the digital mask on Zoom. But the reason that we gather is for something greater than ourselves. If I only gathered or showed up 
when I felt like it, I would be a lot less consistent than I am right now. But I gather with the hope and expectation that God is going to move, that God is going to continue to move in me, and by His grace, He'll move through me. And that's just not limited to me or the staff. Like, that's what God wants to do in and through you. I love how in Matthew 28, we really read about a transference of authority. In verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, I'm kind of giving it to you to go and do, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to walk in obedience. And that last verse is so comforting to me. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Before we respond in worship, I just want to share one more thought the Lord put on my heart. In my own life, I'm speaking for myself. In times where I felt distant from God, some of them, most of them, is because I've become disengaged in the work of God. In other words, I love how Jesus is saying, as you are going, as you are making disciples, as you are ministering and living out and talking about the gospel, I am going to be with you. It's interesting because it's almost conditional, right? That like, as we're doing what God's asked us, he'll be with us. So can I encourage you, if you feel distant from God in any way, be bold enough to ask the question, but have I been doing what God has asked me to do? Because whether it's caring for the poor, whether it's lending your voice to those who culture has rendered voiceless, whether it's speaking the truth in love, living out kindness to a neighbor, taking time to truly listen to someone, those are godly things and God will meet you there because he's already working in those situations and lives. When my Christianity becomes just about Blaine, just about myself, it's no wonder I feel distant from God. My pastor Mark says it like this, I can't be full of myself and also full of the Spirit. You and I can't fill our lives up with all the things we want and then somehow hope that God would would fill our lives with his love and purpose. Sometimes to grab a hold of what God has for us, we have to let go of what we might want for ourselves. Let me pray briefly as we prepare to worship in response. God, I thank you for the joy of receiving the gospel of grace. But God, I'm just so amazed that you take it a step further and that you let me, you let us be a part of seeing others experience that grace. God, thank you for the joy of knowing that conversations and relationships matter, that assignments come and go, midterms come and go, But God, it's the relationships around us. And I thank you that you've invited us into a relationship with you, but that it involves others. Give us joy, give us peace, and give us perspective to be a community that's a movement on mission together. Amen.